patrons heard this episode first. If you want to become a patron too, head over to patreon.com slash the Murder Diaries pod where you will find all kinds of Murder Diaries content, including monthly bonus episodes and ad-free early access to our regular episodes. Thank you, Melanie, Kim, Carinza, and Ariel for becoming our newest patrons. Also, thank you to Anonymous for buying us some coffees this week. You could buy us coffees too at buymeacoffee.com slash mdiariespod. Welcome to the Murder Diaries. I'm Natalie. And I'm Paige. The case I have for you today needs your attention. It's about a nine-year-old little girl named Aisha Degree who went missing in the early morning hours of Valentine's Day 2000. What should have been a day to celebrate love quickly turned into a parent's real-life nightmare and flipped the rural community of Shelby, North Carolina upside down. Now, it's been over two decades since Aisha vanished, and investigators aren't any closer to answering the question that's haunted them all this time. What happened to Aisha Degree? We may not know right now, but as her mom, Iquila Degree, put it, After 20 years, I still believe my daughter is alive. I do not believe she's dead. And I know somebody knows something. I'm not crazy enough to think that a nine-year-old can disappear into thin air without somebody knowing something. So until this mystery is solved and her family gets the answers they so desperately deserve, we're going to tell you all about Aisha and her case with the intention of helping keep her name and memory alive by spreading awareness of her disappearance. This is her story. You still think it's in my head I'm walking with the dead. It's Monday, February 14th, 2000. And not only is it Valentine's Day, but it also happens to be Iquila and Harold Degree's 12th wedding anniversary. However, before the North Carolina couple can celebrate, they first have to get through the busy day of work and kids ahead of them. Iquila actually wakes up at 5.45 a.m., which is much earlier than normal. She needs the extra time to make sure her children, 10-year-old O'Brien and 9-year-old Aisha, bathe before school. They couldn't take a bath the night before because there had been a power outage due to heavy rains and someone driving into a utility pool nearby. She enters O'Brien and Aisha's shared bedroom at 6.30 a.m. to wake them up and finds her son sleeping peacefully amongst his blankets. But as she turns to wake Aisha, she realizes the fourth grader's bed is empty. Iquila checks beside O'Brien's bed, hoping to find Aisha sleeping on the floor, squeezed between her brother's mattress and the wall, something she occasionally did when she couldn't fall asleep. But Aisha isn't there either. Iquila asks O'Brien where his sister is, and he says he doesn't know. Now Iquila's heart beats out of her chest as she races around the two-bedroom duplex, throwing open every closet, calling Aisha's name, only to be met with silence. Aquila shakes her husband awake, telling him that their precious daughter is missing. Harold's worried, but in an attempt to stay calm, he suggests that Aisha may have gone to visit his mother, Joanne, who lives on the same street, Oak Crest Drive. With growing anxiety, Aquila dials her mother-in-law's number, praying that it's all a big misunderstanding. But Joanne says she hasn't seen Aisha and doesn't know where she could be. At that moment, Aquila hears her neighbor's car outside and realizes she hasn't checked her own vehicles and races out front. Except there's no sign of Aisha there either. Iquila then contacts her mom, who tells her not to waste any more time and to call the authorities. 
The distraught mother throws Harold the phone, instructing him to dial 911 and begins screaming Aisha's name into the cold, wet morning. The police arrive within minutes, sirens blaring and tracking dogs in tow. However, the dogs aren't able to follow Aisha's trail. Remember, it rained hard the night before, which washed away any trace of Aisha's scent and made it nearly impossible for the dogs to point investigators in the right direction. Despite this setback, the search continues. The police and Aisha's family go door to door questioning all the neighbors in the residential subdivision that's on the edge of the Charlotte metropolitan area. And I'm not exaggerating when I say every single neighbor. Iquila later described those early moments of the search saying, quote, by that time, every neighbor on my street was up because I was walking up and down the road screaming my child's name. By seven o'clock, we had every cop in the county here. Every news reporter had shown up. Five or six local news channels were here, local papers. By the time seven o'clock came, I was plastered all over the television. And now a quick break to hear from one of this week's sponsors. I've been sleeping on Blissey pillowcases for a couple of years. I literally have 10 of them. And let me tell you, the sleep has been nothing short of blissful. That's because Blissey uses award-winning 100% mulberry silk, which is what's best for your hair and skin. It reduces frizz, tangles, and prevents breakage. It keeps the moisture in your hair and keeps your skincare products and natural moisture on your skin, while cotton literally absorbs it off your face. With Blissey Silk Pillowcases, you can say goodbye to wrinkles, dry, flaky, and red skin in the morning, and wake up with healthier, shinier hair that won't take an hour to fix. Like Natalie said, Blissey Pillowcases are made with 100% mulberry silk, which just so happens to be naturally hypoallergenic, so you can sleep more comfortably without itching or rashes. And unlike other silk pillowcases, these are some of the highest quality silk and are machine washable and durable. Not to mention, it's the perfect gift for any occasion. I've given them to my mom, my sister. I make my husband sleep on one. Everyone I love loves Blissey just as much as I do. Plus, the pillowcases come in gift-ready packaging that they'll be sure to love. Besides all the amazing benefits for skin and hair, one of the things I've enjoyed most about using Blissey is that they regulate temperature, keeping you cool at night. Seriously, the entire pillow, cool to the touch. No more sweaty nights spent tossing and turning around for me. And they're really soft too. Everybody loves Blissey and you will too. They have a ton of different prints and colors. And like we said, Blissey makes for a great gift because there's an option for literally everyone. And men love them too. They have over 1 million raving fans and you will be next. Try Blissey now risk-free for 60 nights at blissey.com slash diaries and get an additional 30% off. That's B-L-I-S-S-Y dot com slash diaries and use code diaries to get an additional 30% off. Your skin and hair and everyone you gift it to will thank you. Unfortunately, nobody had seen or heard anything. More and more individuals join the search and by midday, the majority of the neighborhood has abandoned their own Valentine's Day plans to help find Aisha and bring her home. There's a moment of excitement a few hours later when a searcher finds a discarded mitten, but it turns out to be a false lead when Iquila confirms it doesn't belong to her daughter. Meanwhile, authorities go over every inch of the degree family with a fine-tooth comb and they don't find anything. There aren't any signs of forced entry. And according to reports, the only things they identify as missing are Aisha's backpack, 
a notebook with Tweety Bird on it, a pair of sneakers, some pants, and a t-shirt. These findings lead law enforcement to the assumption that Aisha wasn't kidnapped, but rather she planned to run away. There was just one problem with this theory. It doesn't make sense. Nobody who knows Aisha can say why she would want to run away in the first place. She was known as a shy, timid girl who was deathly afraid of dogs, stormy weather, strangers, and the dark. Aquila describes her daughter as a very sensible girl, someone who followed the rules, did as she was told, and played it safe. Investigators also couldn't find a reason Aisha would have wanted to run away. She had never spoken about doing anything like that. And the Degree household was confirmed to be a loving, secure home, with both Harold and Aquila known as hands-on doting parents. They were a close-knit family, even going so far as to be considered overprotective in ensuring their kids' safety. The kids were said to have never strayed far from the apartment, even letting themselves in after school when their parents weren't home, and immediately starting with their homework, and nothing else until their parents arrived later in the evening. The kids didn't even have access to a computer, because Aquila and Harold refused to have one in their home for fear of online predators. In interviews since Aisha's disappearance, Aquila talks about how painfully aware she was of just how dangerous the web could be, especially in regards to kids as young and impressionable as Aisha and O'Brien. With nothing else to go on, investigators want to know about the days leading up to Aisha's disappearance. And it turns out, nothing of note really happened. Aisha's school, Falston Elementary, was closed on Friday, so she spent the day with her paternal aunt and grandmother, who, like I mentioned earlier, live on the same street. She attended basketball practice with her team that evening before going home to rest up for the big game the following day. During the game, Aisha was fouled and was unable to play the rest of the game. This was a big deal to not only Aisha, but the team as well, because she was a skilled point guard. The team, the Little Bulldogs, subsequently lost the game, causing Aisha to feel guilty and cry with her teammates over their loss. However, her brother was also playing that day, and by the time the family went to watch his game, Aisha had recovered and was back to her usual happy self. Aisha and the rest of the degrees went to church on the morning of Sunday, February 13th, before spending the afternoon visiting her extended family. Her day then came to a close at 8 p.m. when Aquila tucked both her children into bed for what she didn't know would be the last time. When it came time to speak to Harold about his movements in the lead-up to Aisha's disappearance, he tells officers that he checked on the kids around 12.30 a.m. He'd arrive home from work and mentioned both kids were sleeping peacefully. He then watched TV before heading to bed around 2.30 a.m., checking in on Aisha and O'Brien once more, before heading to bed himself. The police then spoke to Aisha's older brother, O'Brien, who, as we know, shared a room with her. He told police how he heard Aisha get up in the night, but he assumed she'd either gone to the bathroom or had just been restless in her sleep. O'Brien recalled that he was roused from his sleep by Aisha's shuffling, but he quickly fell back asleep after a few seconds because he was so exhausted from the previous day's events. Even in his wildest dreams, O'Brien could have never imagined that this was the sound of his younger, timid sister getting ready to leave the safety of their home and venturing out into the cold, stormy night. As news of Aisha's disappearance spreads, witnesses begin coming forward. A truck driver and another motorist claim to have seen Aisha between the hours of 3.45 and 4.15 a.m. in roughly the same place, along Highway 18 north of its junction with Highway 180. This is about 1.8 miles away from the Degree family home, 
which is quite a ways for a nine-year-old to be walking alone in the dark. The police were able to confirm the witness's statements were true for two reasons. Firstly, both described the child wearing a white long-sleeved t-shirt with matching pants on, which lined up with the missing items from Aisha's wardrobe. Secondly, both of the unrelated sightings matched perfectly in their description of the girl. County Sheriff Sam Crawford stated, we're pretty sure it was her because the descriptions they gave are consistent with what we know she was wearing. The motorist went on record stating that he'd actually turned his vehicle around multiple times in search of the girl. As he recalled thinking how strange it was that a child would be out by herself at that hour. He circled back a total of three times until he finally encountered the child, but claimed that when he tried to ask if she was all right, she appeared startled and ran away into a wooded area on the side of the road. Given what we know about Aisha, this was presumably because she was afraid of strangers. Unfortunately, the specific stretch of road she was spotted on was in a poorly lit area, making it difficult for the person to follow her. But there's something else important about this stretch of road. It's actually familiar to Aisha because it's the same route her school bus traveled on daily to and from school. Aisha was reportedly headed in the direction away from her parents' house and towards the direction of her school, making investigators wonder if that was her intended destination. These reports of Aisha being seen on Highway 180 were the last sightings of her. They were also the only lead in the case. That is, until two days later. It's now Thursday, February 17th, and about 100 meters off-road to the west of where Aisha was last seen walking down Highway 180, the police find a shed. It belongs to a local business called Turner's Upholstery and is mainly utilized as storage space, housing both the company tractor and random furniture. The shed's owner, Debbie Turner, recalls finding some unusual items inside the shed on February 15th, the day after Aisha's disappearance. The items included a Mickey Mouse hair bow, a green marker, and a pencil all of which Iquila later confirmed as belonging to Aisha and were missing from her bedroom. And if you're wondering why Debbie hadn't contacted authorities, it's because she says she didn't connect the items to the case until the police came by asking if they could search the area. The focus of the search for Aisha then moved to the area surrounding the shed. Investigators spent hours upon hours there looking for something, anything to help them find the nine-year-old. But after hours of intensive searching, all they found other than the items Debbie had handed over were chocolate wrappers. But these chocolate wrappers are important because they were identified as the same ones Aisha and her basketball team had received at the game she played two days prior to her disappearance. The police then brought in sniffer dogs to search the area. But once again, the weather between the time of Aisha's disappearance and when they were brought in had been wet and the dogs weren't able to detect her scent. By the time the details about the discovery of items in the shed and the shed itself were released to the public, many locals questioned why it took so long for the police to identify the shed as a place of interest. Locals commented that given how bad the weather had been, the shed seemed like a likely place for a little girl to hide, and it was an easy walk from the main highway where the two drivers had last seen her. Investigators seemed to agree. Based on the sightings and the discovery of items belonging to Asia, the police theorized that either she had willingly gone into the shed to seek shelter from the rain, or that someone may have forced her into the shed. But despite their best efforts, including increasing and expanding their search in and around the shed, police found no further sign of Asia. 
officials called off the physical search for Aisha a week later. Now, that doesn't mean they stopped looking for her completely, though. Police were still actively looking into Aisha's disappearance, but the ground search was no longer their priority. Because in the space of a week, they'd exhausted over 9,000 man hours looking for Aisha. And despite the intensity and more than 300 tips, they hadn't turned up any solid leads as to where Aisha might be. Many speculated that Aisha hadn't run away on her own accord, but that foul play was a factor. Ben Armini, the director of the National Missing and Exploited Children's Department, said that it's unlikely for a nine-year-old to run away as it's something that normally occurs with children ages 12 and up. But these speculations were disregarded due to the fact that there were no signs of forced entry in or around Asia's house, as well as the evidence that pointed to her having packed and taken a bag with her. The more investigators looked at it, the evidence was beginning to make it look like Asia had voluntarily run away and was subsequently abducted in what's termed as a consequential abduction or opportunistic abduction. In other words, officials believe that Aisha left her home of her own free will and was then abducted on her journey by a person or persons unknown. For those with ill intentions, a lone nine-year-old would be an easy target. And if the abduction was coincidental and unplanned, it would make the investigation exponentially more difficult. Because in this circumstance, at least, the perpetrator would have nothing to do with Aisha prior to her abduction, and no clues would be left behind such as a digital trail or sightings of someone following her. So the investigation shifted gears once more. And on February 22nd, investigators said that they were going long range in their search. This meant that they were confident Asia was no longer in the vicinity of Shelby, North Carolina. As a result, Asia was added to the FBI's database for missing children, taking the investigation from local to national. It was clear by then that police had no leads as to where Asia may be. And this remained the case for 18 long months. That started to change, though, as Asia's case began to garner exposure from TV shows and celebrities, including Oprah Winfrey, America's Most Wanted, and the Montel Williams show. A massive billboard was put up at the point on the highway where she was last seen, and a $45,000 reward was offered for information in the case. But despite all of these efforts, it wasn't until August 3rd, 2001, that police would receive new evidence in regards to Asia's disappearance. It came in the form of a black and cream backpack found 26 miles from the shed along Highway 18, the next county over, Burke County. The items were found by a 44-year-old construction worker named Terry Fleming, who'd found the backpack buried in an area he was working in. Terry found the backpack wrapped in two plastic bags that were confirmed to not have belonged to Asia. Inside the book bag, the contractor found a Dr. Seuss book and a t-shirt with a book of the band New Kids on the Block. He also found Aisha's name and a number, which turned out to be the landline for the Degree family. Terry told officers that the reason he decided to take down the name and phone number was that something about the discovery didn't sit right with him. He claimed he had a bad feeling because of the plastic bags as well as the location in which the bag was found. Despite this bad feeling, Terry claimed to not know about the case until he'd brought it up the next morning over breakfast with his wife. It was she who had heard about Aisha's disappearance the year before, and she prompted Terry to call the authorities. And it wasn't long after Terry notified officials that search and rescue teams were deployed to the area where he had made the discovery. After scouring the area and turning up empty-handed, 
the book bag and items within it were sent to the FBI for forensic testing. And sadly, to date, this is the last piece of evidence found in relation to Aisha's disappearance. Even though the book bag is the last piece of evidence, it has a lot to say. There are a couple things about this discovery that are peculiar. Firstly, it's that it was found so far from the shed where Aisha's other items were discovered. Remember, she was last seen on the highway about 1.8 miles away from her home in Shelby, North Carolina. But that backpack was found another 26 miles away. There's no way she could have walked that. Then there's the fact that the book bag was wrapped in plastic. This garbage bag had no relation to Aisha other than her backpack being found inside it. Investigators know this to be true because they weren't the brand that the Degree family used and therefore no one could understand how she would have had a bag like it in her possession in the first place. The fact that the bag was found buried led officials to theorize that it indicated whoever put it there was trying to conceal its existence. But perhaps the most perplexing aspect of this backpack discovery was the two items found within it, the book and the band t-shirt. The details about these two items would only be released to the public on the 20th anniversary of her disappearance, three years ago. And it turns out that neither of the items belonged to Asia. The Dr. Seuss book belonged to the school she attended, which isn't so unusual. But the band t-shirt didn't belong to her or anyone in her family. With this new information, it was looking more and more likely that the theory officials had been basing their investigation on was accurate. Aisha had left home on her own that dark, stormy night and had been abducted after being at the shed. The backpack seemed to confirm that foul play was involved in her disappearance. But the discovery also raised more questions. Why was the bag disposed of in that way instead of being destroyed completely? What was the significance of the location where it was found? And who did the t-shirt belong to? To date, the FBI have not released the results of the forensic tests which were done on the bag. And while the bag itself didn't turn into any new leads in the search for Asia, when the discovery was revealed to the public, it prompted a new surge of awareness for her case. Once again, the police received numerous tips about her disappearance, and while most tips turned out to be dead ends, there was one which piqued investigators' interest. This specific tip came in 2004. The police received it from a county jail inmate. The tip was in regard to possible remains and it was substantial enough to warrant an excavation on the corner of Shelby and Rube's Bangler Road in Lawndale. Unfortunately, the tip was later confirmed to be yet another dead end when the excavation found nothing but the remains of an unidentified animal. Despite not finding anything, Cleveland County Sheriff Alan Norman went on to say, quote, you take any information received very seriously and we follow it through to the conclusion, regardless of who provides that information. And despite setback after setback, these investigators aren't ready to give up on Asia or her family. Tim Adams, another investigator on the case, went on record saying, everyone in our town was touched by the fact that it was a little child who departed on Valentine's Day. He then goes on to call her Shelby's sweetheart because he says that she's a youngster who's one of their own. Then in 2015, the FBI announced that they, in conjunction with the Cleveland County Sheriff's investigators, would re-examine the case, starting from the very beginning. Their new investigation would include re-interviewing all of the witnesses from the original search. They also announced a $25,000 reward 
to which a further $20,000 was added by members of the community for any information that led to an arrest. These efforts didn't turn up any new leads until May 2016, 15 months after the announcement of the case re-examination. The FBI disclosed that a witness had come forward to report that they had in fact seen a girl that perfectly matched Aisha's description getting into a green car near where she had been last seen on Highway 18 that night. The car was thought to be a dark green early 1970s Lincoln Continental or a Ford Thunderbird. The car is also described to have had rust around its wheels. To date, the car has never been found and remains the only vehicle of interest in the case. Once again, the tip offers more questions than answers. Why did it take 17 years for the witness to come forward? Given the passage of time, public opinion is split on whether the car can even be considered evidence in the case. Because how does a witness recall what they saw from a short moment in time 17 years earlier? This is yet another perplexing question to which we have no answer for. November 2020 brought more recent developments. When a felon convicted of sexual assault crimes against children wrote a letter to the Shelby Star. In it, he claimed that Aisha Degree had been murdered. He also claimed to know where to find her remains. Authorities followed up on these claims, but in February 2021, Cleveland County Sheriff Alan Norman formally stated that the sex offender's claims led to nothing more than further dead ends. Clearly, investigators didn't have a lot to go on in this case. So let's talk about some of the theories that they were coming up with. Due to the lack of substantial, solid evidence in regard to Aisha's whereabouts, there are so many theories that have circled about the case. So let's start back at the beginning. Most opinions in the case agree that Aisha left the house on her own. This is the theory put forward by the police right from the very beginning of the case. This theory is backed up with the fact that she had a bag packed and there were no signs of forced entry into the degree home. Now, because Aisha had no access to the internet and watching TV in the house was minimal, that begs the question, where would she get the idea to run away? Some people believe that Aisha was inspired by one of her favorite books, which was about two young boys who had packed their bags and left home. The book showcased all of their amazing adventures after running away. Aisha was only nine years old and was very impressionable. So this has led many to wonder if she ran away in hopes of experiencing that same kind of fairy tale. However, this theory has been widely discredited by experts who aren't involved in the case but have given their opinion on the matter. They agree that it takes more than reading a book to prompt a child of her age to run away. According to them, children only run from something or someone. Consider an abuser or a school situation which is causing emotional instability for the child. In response to this theory, some online speculators say that maybe she ran away due to her foul during the basketball game two days prior to her disappearance, an error that she believed caused her team to lose. But this too seems highly unlikely as she was reportedly seen as being back to her normal happy self not too long after that. Another popular theory among citizen detectives is that Aisha was sleepwalking when she left that night. Many people believe that sleepwalkers can do uncharacteristic, random things while they're in the state without being aware of their actions. But could Aisha really have gotten out of bed, changed her clothes, packed her bag, unlocked, and then locked the front door before leaving her home all while sleepwalking? I don't know, but 
People who align themselves with this theory say that she could have been acting on a subconscious level when she walked the same route as her school bus. To add to this theory, it's believed that she might have been woken up by the motorist who tried to speak to her, and in a state of shock and confusion, she ran away from the road and towards the shed where she was later kidnapped. Another possible theory is that she was groomed by someone close to her that she trusted, like a family member, a basketball coach, a church leader, or even a teacher. Maybe she was told to meet them at a certain location at a certain time. Many have wondered if that would explain why she left at that time of the night in a storm. The theory has been given more weight when some have even suggested that the groomer could have staged the evidence in the shed and the candy wrappers found in its vicinity as misdirection for what had actually happened. Some think that the discovery of those items in the shed is so out of place. And they wonder why she would just leave her stuff there if she was thinking about walking somewhere specific. Whatever people believe, nearly everyone agrees that some type of foul play is involved. It's clear that there are a lot of theories about Aisha's disappearance, but with so little evidence, her case remains unsolved to this day. Meanwhile, the impact of her disappearance on her parents, her brother, and her community has been devastating. As we heard at the beginning of the episode, Even now, Aisha's mother maintains that she still believes Aisha will walk through that door, that she's alive. This Valentine's Day marks the 23rd anniversary of Aisha Degree's disappearance, meaning Aquila and Harold have spent more years searching for their daughter than raising her. Despite this, she's never far from her family's mind and very much a part of their present. The Degree home serves as a sort of tribute to Aisha, decorated with her personal items, including her basketball jersey and the trophies she won playing the game she so loved. The walls are also covered in age progression photographs as a reminder of the girl who they are hoping will one day knock on their front door. Someone knows something. And Aisha's parents won't stop until they get answers. Here's what Aquila had to say on the matter in a recent interview. We haven't gave up and that If anything, I don't care how small, how minute, if you think it doesn't matter, pick up the phone and just call them. Let them do their job. No matter how this ends up, if it doesn't end up the way we think or believe, at least we'll have the closure and the satisfaction of knowing, as her parents, we've done everything in our power to help bring our child, to help find our child, and to bring her home. If you have any information regarding Asia's case, please call 704-672-6100. Make sure to follow us on all of our socials at The Murder Diaries Pod on TikTok and Instagram and at The Murder Diaries Podcast Request at gmail.com. Until then, stay safe. Bye. Bye. Is your daily grind getting you down? A thermospas hot tub may be the solution. Just a few minutes under those powerful soothing jets and all your stress seems to melt away like you're lying on a cloud of bubbles. You'll not only feel better, but sleep better too. Call 877-861-4672 now. And for a limited time, save $1,250. Call 877-861-4672 or visit thermospas.com to schedule a free on-site assessment. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. 
With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.